I'm over by the piano, so don't worry about it if you can't see me. Just sing along. Page 317. 317. And let's stand as we sing. Jesus. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, Please invite someone to church next Sunday morning, all right? Talk to your neighbor there. All right, you can be seated. Number 364, 364. Let's sing it together. There's a call comes ringing o'er the restless. Send the light, send the light. There are souls to rescue, there are souls to Send the light, the blessed gospel, let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light, the blessed gospel. Now the number four. Let us not grow weary in the work of love. Send the light, send the light. Let us gather jewels for a crown of send the light, send the light, send the light, the blessed gospel. Let it shine from shore to shore. Send the light, the blessed Page 245, 245. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was cruising. On Calvary, mercy. 
All right, let's stand together now. We'll sing the last stanza. Ushers, you have us be sing. Oh, the mighty gulf and Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did spread. And Calvary, mercy there was great and gracious. At Calvary. All right, let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the blessing you. Give us of serving you, and thank you for this church. I pray that you'll uh, bless our time together tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have a video here on Send Relief, which is part of our Annie Armstrong Easter offering and goes along with our North American Mission Board. This is what you do. You live your life. You pay your bills. You play ball with the kids. You put food on the table. You tackle the world's problems. But as you do what you do, maybe you miss things. Maybe you see things. Maybe you try to keep up. And maybe the more you know, the more you want to know what it is you're really meant to do. That is why we exist. We are Send Relief. We inform, we train, we connect you to needs in your community so that you can tackle the world's problems, so that you can respond to big issues in personal ways, and so that you can build relationships that lead to gospel conversations. Send Relief helps you and your church rescue girls like Amber. She ran away from home when she was 14. Send Relief helps introduce you and your church to refugees like Amir. 
He came here with nothing except the clothes on his back. Sandra Leaf partners her church with ministries that help moms like Julie. She lost her job and now doesn't have any money for groceries. Sandra Leaf helps you and your church find families for children like Emma. She was placed in foster care when she was seven. And Send Relief helps you and your church rebuild homes for people like Alice. A hurricane took most everything she owned. Wherever there is a need, wherever there is a hurt, Send Relief mobilizes people, builds partnerships, and unifies communities. Through experts who've been there, through ministry centers that offer hands-on training, through partners who are already serving well, Send Relief helps you and your church take your next missional step. The world out there needs what you have. That's why outside the four walls of your church is where you're at your best. Because as the church, this is what you do. You care. You love. You provide. You shelter. You rebuild the broken places. And as you do, you meet needs. You build relationships. You share the gospel. That is the hope of Jesus Christ. That is Send Relief. Send Relief is one of the, un, under the North American Mission Board, there's two umbrellas. There's Send Relief, which, uh, you know, compromises all those things they named there. Then there's also Send Network, which is the church planning focus. North American Mission Board is what we're in our Annie Armstrong Easter offering right now. This is part of the Southern Baptist Convention that we give towards Annie Armstrong. 100% of our giving goes towards that. What I like so much about Sin Relief is one of their things is um, foster care adoption. And when uh, Sherry and I, when we were a little over three years ago, when we were adopting Esther, uh, North American Mission Board gave us $2,000 towards our adoption for Esther. So it, they, uh, they have lots of ministries. And here in Kentucky, one of the uh, great connections we have is they have designated uh, Ashland uh, just right there along I-64. There's right off that exit, there is a um, send relief hub for the Appalachian area. So all of, if there's a flood, any type of disaster relief and anywhere in Appalachia, it's coming out of Ashland, Kentucky, which is a need. So they're not having to bring it up from uh, Alpharetta, Georgia. They've got it closer hubs all throughout so we're very blessed to be a part i'm a big fan of the north american mission board last year we're collecting offering last year we set a world record for broadway and we collected eleven thousand four sixty five. i think was our 464 is our record all-time record 66 year history and um uh, this year so far we've already collected two thousand six hundred and eighty five dollars we're about nine thousand dollars away from our world record so I want to encourage you to give. You know, next Sunday is Easter, so you, uh, make that part of your giving as giving to, to home missions. That's what that is. Something also happened this week. This past, it was going to be, I believe that would have been Tuesday, which would have been March 20th, first day of spring. That is the 66-year anniversary of when our church was planted. I was reading Porter Memorial Baptist Church's 
history as well as Broadway's history, our church was started on March 20th, 1952 by 25 charter members of Porter Memorial Baptist Church. And this is the old Porter, the one uh, near downtown there. Um, and uh, they wanted to plant a church out here in Broadway, out in the country, back in, in that area. And I think that's um, uh, powerful that this is what they did. They um, found nine, they collected, I guess, 9000 uh, I think $265, like $9,200, $9,300 to go out and buy some land along Broadway and build a church building. And now, in 66 years ago, $9,000, that's $100,000, $200,000 today. So that was a, uh, you, you, you never forget that this little group of 25 folks, what they're doing 66 years ago, here we are 66 years later, and we're still meeting as a church. So that, what the North American Mission Board does, facilitate church planning, that's what Porter was doing back 66 years ago. Um, churches planning churches. So that's why this is so important because we're our church is a church plant of um, of Porter Memorial. Do you know who planted Porter Memorial Baptist Church? I, I was reading their history. I think it's it's either nineteen sixteen or nineteen nineteen. First Baptist Church of Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, you know that church is from the late seventeen hundreds. It planted Porter, and I think they named it after. Reverend, their pastor was Reverend Dr. Porter, and they named a church after that. It has a, you, but literally, you can trace back where did churches come from. Our, our, our father's church is Porter Memorial, and our grandfather is First Baptist Lexington. So that's the history of Broadway, tracing it through the lineage of who we are as a church. So I share all that because it's, it was our birthday this past week for a church, and um, it certainly ties in with the, our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 6. We are going through an expository sermon series for the next two years, because we're going to go through Luke, then we're going to go through Luke part 2, which is the book of Acts, and it will just, we'll just keep rolling through, I say two years, we'll just finish it whenever it's done. Um, but what happens, we're, we're going through verse by verse. You need to know the Gospels, you need to know the story of Luke. Luke's my favorite book of the Bible. It's written uh, towards a Gentile audience. So, um, but we're going to see three different sections right here. And we're also, we're going to see, um, and there's, we're going to come to a theological question as well about Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath because he does something that he got from David in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So we're going to um, take a look at that. Luke chapter 6 verse 1. On a Sabbath, he passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them. So, we're, let's, before we see what Jesus' answer is, it says here in verse 2, the question is, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Well, that's the fourth commandment. The Sabbath day, we're to keep it holy. So the Pharisees taught that you are to do zero work on the Sabbath. So walking through the grain fields and pulling, grain, pulling off food, that is work. Therefore, you're breaking the fourth commandment. So that's the charge on Jesus. What's happened here? The Pharisees are 
Religious teachers do not like Jesus because so they're trying to trap him. So they're going to go after his disciples. And that's what's occurring here. Now look what Jesus says here. Because we're going to flip back at 1 Samuel 21 and we're going to see this story. Because if Jesus quotes it, we need to know it. Jesus answered them, Haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. Then he told them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus quoted here an Old Testament story. So let's go back in our Bibles and let's take a look at this. So understand what Jesus said. Jesus says, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting accused that my disciples are breaking the Sabbath. Well, what did David do? His men went and ate the bread of the presence. He ate it and gave some to his, some of his companions, his friends there, and they ate it as well. Well, what is, what is, the, what is the bread of the presence? You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read Leviticus 24 because here's what he's talking about. Leviticus chapter 24, the bread of the presence, is the bread inside uh, the, um, the temple there, inside the holy place, and only the priests are supposed to eat it. And it says here, and we, we receive specific commands in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 24. I'll read verses um, 8 and 9. It says, Leviticus 24, 8 9. The bread is to be set out before the Lord every Sabbath day as a permanent covenant obligation on the part of the Israelites. It belongs to Aaron and his sons, who are to eat it in a holy place, for it is the holiest portion for him, for him from the fire offering to the Lord. This is a permanent rule. So understand what's happening here. Aaron and his descendants, the the and um from the, the lineage of Aaron, the priestly lineage, only they are allowed to eat the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence is the bread inside the Holy of Holies, inside the temple. And they have to make sure they're pure, they're ceremonial clean, as the Bible says. They haven't had any type of relations, so m make sure they are clean before they eat this bread. So then what happens, and only they can eat those, that, that type of bread. So then all of a sudden... Something happens in 1 Samuel. I want you to turn over in your Bible. This is when David's on the run. 1 Samuel chapter 21. Now, Jesus quotes this story. So remember, we're about to read a story. And we know only Aaron and his descendants can eat this bread. And David's about to do something. David is the king, or not at this point, he has been anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel, but he's not the king yet. He will soon become the king. <clears throat> but Saul is still the king. Saul is trying to kill David. David is on the run. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. David went to the priest, Ahimelech, at Nob. He's on the run. Ahimelech is the priest there at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David. So he, he said to them, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So what happened here is nobody wants to be around David because if word gets out that you're uh, keeping David hidden and safe and supplying him food and taking care of this fugitive as Saul's viewed him, what did that mean for you? Saul's going to kill you. So he had to be careful. David answered the priest Ahimelech, The king gave me a mission. 
But he told me, don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I have ordered you to do. I have stationed my young men at a certain place. Now do what you... Now, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest told him, there is no ordinary bread on hand. Ordinary bread would be bread that you and I, non-descendants of Aaron, could eat. Typical bread. However, there is consecrated bread, but the young man... Men may only eat it only if they have kept themselves from women, so ceremonially clean. David answered him, but the problem with that is that's not entirely true. Yes, they can eat if they're ceremonially clean, but they also have to be a descendant of, of Aaron. They have to be of the priestly tribe. So it goes on to say here, David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us. As always, when I go to, out to battle, the young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission. So, of course, their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread. For there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. When the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. One of Saul's servants detained before the Lord was there that day. His name was Doeg the Edomite, chief of Saul's shepherds. It's really awesome. We just see that one Bible verse there, but that one guy is going to basically tattletale to Saul, and Ahimelech is going to die, and all the priests there in Nob, they're going to pay a price for doing this. But Ahimelech's son will escape. David said to Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword on hand? I didn't even bring my sword or my weapon since the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elath, is here wrapped in a cloth behind the epid. If you want to take it for yourself, then take it, for there isn't another one here. There's none like it, David said. Give it to me. Now, Jesus quoted this story here. David, he did something that actually broke... Leviticus 24, verses 8 and 9. If you go by that Bible verse, he was not supposed to eat that bread. So then we say, well, then why is Jesus all of a sudden, fast-forwarding all the way to Luke chapter 6, why is he quoting this story to justify, to rationalize, give permission to his disciples that they can walk through the grain fields and just take grain and eat it for themselves? And here's the answer to this. What Jesus is saying here, he's saying, you know, they're not allowed, and the King James uses the word showbread. It's the bread of the presence. That's what it is. David, as well as Jesus, is putting human need before ritual law. That's the principle Jesus is saying. Are we going to allow people to starve to death? Because the only bread we have is the showbread, or the bread of the presence. That's the, and that's what Jesus was saying. He's saying, what, what do you do? Do you do evil, or do you do good on the Sabbath? Do we let people just starve to death and say, well, you can't eat till sundown, because it's the Sabbath. You're going to have to wait a few more hours. And that's what David was saying here. He says, I'm on the run. I'm being sought to be killed. I'm starving 
I need something to eat. Now, Ahimelech, he paid a price for this. He was killed. And the other priest there at Nah, Saul found out that one guy, Doeg, there, he went and tattled and reported this to Saul. And next chapter, they lose their life. Now we see here, tying this back to the book of Luke, chapter 6, going back there, Jesus is saying, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Meaning, guys, what's more important on the Sabbath? Following ritual law or worshiping and, and having a complete focus on Jesus, on me? I'm the Son of Man. My Father and I, we created the Ten Commandments. We gave these ritual laws, and they're important, but it's more important for you to put human need before these rules. That's what he was saying here. Verse 6, Luke 6.6. 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. So remember, we're trying to trap Jesus. It's, it's the Sabbath, and we're gonna, we've got a man who's, who's crippled, his shriveled hand, and we're going to see what we need to do. Verse 8, But he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand here. So we're going to stand up in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Like here's a crippled man here. Do we heal him on the Sabbath? Or do we just let him continue suffering? Might be his only opportunity. It's the only day I'll come here to this synagogue and preach. Are we going to heal him or are we going to let it pass? What Jesus is saying here is, on the Sabbath day, it was not made for, for um, God. We're the ones who need the Sabbath. We're the ones that have to stop working one day and worship the Lord. Jesus didn't need a Sabbath. He's God. The reason why we have a Sabbath is because on the seventh day of creation, God rested. He didn't rest because He was tired. He rested because He's showing a pattern that there needs to be one day of the week that you give everything to the Lord. You come to Sunday school, you come to morning worship and evening worship. It's a time that you're saying, I'm giving this day to God. That's, what, that's the principle He's saying here. So on the Sabbath day, even if you heal someone, or even if you eat the bread of the presence, that's more important than, than allowing someone to continue and suffer and possibly even die if they don't have any food. They're dying literally of starvation. So verse 10, so that's the question he's asking here. Verse 10, it says, After looking around at them all, he told them, Stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. They, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. And the reason why they're filled with rage, even though they didn't say anything publicly, Jesus is reading their thoughts. And he's realizing, they're realizing, that the, the religious leaders realizing, this, this guy is smarter than we are. He's one-upped us again. He knows the Bible better than we do. 
So what our principle that we see here is that the Sabbath in the Bible is, begins sundown on Friday, and it ends at sundown on Saturday evening. Saturday is the Jewish Sabbath. That has never changed in the Bible. Never do we see the word Sabbath used in place of Sunday. Sunday is refer referred to as the Lord's Day. That is the day that the Christians began meeting in the early church. You say, preacher, why do they do that? Because on Easter morning, the first day of the week, the tomb was empty. That's what we're going to celebrate next week, next Sunday. Our worship day changed from the Sabbath, Saturday, to Sunday, the Lord's Day, because of the empty tomb. I'm sharing all this because we need to understand that we are still expected one day a week on the Lord's Day. Our Sunday is for the Lord. You're not to work. It's a day for, the, it's a day for Jesus. It's a day of rest. It's a day that you set a things aside and say, God, this is your day. You guard, the sun, you guard your Sunday. It shouldn't be a day to play baseball. It shouldn't be a day to uh, travel. And if you are traveling, you should still go to church somewhere. It's still part of your week. You're never off. Just because you're out of town doesn't mean you get permission not to go to church. And the principle that Jesus is instructing us is God's creation. He did that for six days, and there's one day He rested, therefore you should do the same. The work week, according to the Bible, is six days and one day of rest. Sadly, we have a seven-day-a-week work week. That you, if you have a job now, you work all the time, every day. Everything's always open. There's always things to be doing. There's always an email check or a text to answer. And but, but God is saying, no. My day is Sunday. It's for believers to identify with Jesus Christ, and you should guard that and make the Lord a priority. We were given a Sabbath because if we didn't give us a Sabbath, we would forget about God. We would be too busy. We would be making money. We would have other things to do. And the Lord would be forgetting about. This is an important issue in 2018. So unfortunately, Sunday has become another day. And we as believers, and, and, um, and born-again believers, we, have to, we stand up and say, no, this is the day of worship. This is the day for the Lord. That's the principle we see here. The Lord of the Sabbath is Jesus. On your Sabbath, is He the Lord? Verse 12. Now we're going to see the calling of the twelve disciples. We're going through three sections here tonight. The calling of the twelve disciples. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in the prayer to God. You know, whenever Jesus made a big decision, he spent time in prayer. He's spending all night in prayer. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose twelve of them, whom he also named apostles. <clears throat> the difference... In the Bible, the word apostle and disciples are used interchangeable, interchangeably. Now, when we get past the 
apostles. Uh, you start getting the book of Acts, they start using the word apostles more than disciples. But a dis- these 12 disciples were people that Jesus invested in. And what their goal was, was the teachings Jesus instructed them, they were to continue it into after he was gone. So he's investing in the next generation, those that are going to come behind him. So um, it says here, verse 14, Simon, who is also called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. There they are. There's our 12 disciples. And I think the principle we see here is before Jesus Christ made a major decision, what did he do? He went to the mountain to pray. He wasn't making a knee-jerk decision and saying, hey, we need to hurry up and get, uh, get our guys in place. No, he's saying, I'm going to spend time all night long. I'm going to give my time, this decision, to the Lord. And the principle I think we see here, what Jesus is trying to teach us, is before we make a major decision, before you do something, if God's placed something in your heart, or He's given you a passion for something, have you said, okay, God, I know I want you to do this, but before I do it, I want to spend time with you to confirm. All major decisions should be spent in time of prayer. Decision time meant prayer time. That's the biblical principle we see here. One of the challenges with prayer today is a lot of times we just don't do it. We don't make the time to spend time in prayer. And Jesus is saying, before I do something, in those days he went to the mountain to pray. Verse 17. Now this is beginning a a shift right here. Because what's about to happen is we know in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 5-7 to we have something called the Sermon on the Mount. We're about to see here what we call Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. Now, there's some differences here. The difference here is in verse 12. What we just read says, During those days he went out to the mountain to pray. So he's here on a mountain. And then in verse 17 it says, After coming down with them. So understand, we were up on a mountain in verse 12. And he came down to the plain. That is why it's called the Sermon on the Plain. This is the prelude we're going to see leading up into it, what we're about to see. Ne- uh, not ne- next Sunday night, Easter, we don't have evening worship service because it's Easter, but in two weeks from tonight, we will resume and we'll go through the Sermon on the Plain. We'll see the teachings there. But I want to draw some, a couple of contrast with that because this is what Bible scholars, Bible theologians sit around and debate. Are they the same is it the same, is the same sermon, but recorded in different places in the Bible. And the people who do believe that, and the reason why they think that, is because it occurs, if you notice, starting in verse chapter 7, the, uh, the Roman centurion's faith. So, and then also in um, Matthew chapter 8, right when both these sermons end, we go into the Roman centurion's faith. That was able to heal their, um, heal their servant there. But... What's different about them, that's one of the similarities. What's different about these two sermons here is that Luke, when he records the Sermon on the Plain, he does not give Jesus' interpretation of the law. What I mean by that, if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, 
He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say, do not even look at someone lustfully. You shouldn't even be lusting after someone. If you do, you need, if you are struggling with that, you need to gouge your eye out or take your hand off. We don't see that on the Sermon on the Plain. So that's one, that's one of the differences between the two. So here's, the, um, here's leading up to the Sermon on the Plain. Verse 17. After coming down the mountain, we're down on the plain with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. That's demonic. Someone who with a, a, a demonic spirit comes to Jesus, an unclean spirit, and Jesus heals them. Jesus' ministry, what he's teaching here, he's showing, I'm doing healing. I'm setting up for a healing ministry. And it says in verse 19, the whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. What do we see here? Jesus' ministry, what he did before he even goes into the sermon, he healed every single person. He had a ministry of healing. Now I say, how, how do we do this today? How do we practice this? James chapter 5 tells us when someone is sick, what do we do? We should bring their need before the elders of the church and the church leaders and allow them to pray and the prayer offered in faith will make them well. Jesus heals people today. It's not the same, obviously, as we walk up and touch Him like it was 2,000 years ago, but the Lord answers prayer. If you know of a physical need or somebody who's hurting, it is your responsibility and obligation to bring those to the Lord and expect Him to answer. And the crowd is just, it says literally, He heals all. And one of the things about healing is Jesus healed, doesn't matter what their background or what they believed. Every single person who was, who was hurting received a healing from Jesus. Never once was he not able to heal someone. It didn't mean they were saved just because they received a healing. Even a lost soul could receive a healing from Jesus. They were to come to Jesus, and he heals them. And then, uh, and ideally, they were to become, hopefully, followers and believers of him. Now, what we see here is Jesus' ministry. It was a human need ministry. Every one of these. The Lord of the Sabbath, the people are hungry. They're in the grain fields. What do they do? Jesus gives them permission. Hey, if David did it, well then you could do it too. If he did it at Nob and Ahimelech allowed him to eat the bread of presence, you can do that too. He heals someone here on the Sabbath who has a shriveled hand. Before he invests in these 12 disciples, he prays for these men. He even knew Judas was going to be a traitor. And then we see here, leading up to the Sermon on the Plain, we see Jesus' ministry. He goes out, and He's healing all, the Bible says. How, what does this mean for us? Here at Broadway Baptist, in our life as believers, there's needs all around us. All over the place. And it's easy to just be overwhelmed by the needs. But Jesus Christ expects you and I, we obviously can't meet all the needs, but we can meet some. 
we have a responsibility to meet physical and human need. We can't give it to government. We can't just rely upon schools to do it. It falls to us, the church. Jesus Christ, God, this is the only institution, it along with the family, the church and the family is what the Lord established, those two things. Jesus Christ works through us to meet physical need. And how do you do it? If Physical need, it starts with prayer. Jesus touched them. Obviously, we can't just touch and heal like that. But you can touch them and pray over them and trust the Lord to heal them. And I think the Lord's speaking, asking us tonight, God, am I helping when I see physical human need? Do I write it off or do I, do I take initiative? Do you all know this past week we had a homeless person in our church? They were here. They came and they heard the gospel. And then we helped them. But they were actually in one of our services. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's all around. And we probably just walked right by them. They left their clothes out in the playground. <laughs> out here. I share this because the need's right here. Jesus Christ puts people and brings people in our life that our responsibility, the best thing we can give them is the Lord. We share Scripture with them. The strength of our church is that we are built on the Bible. You come to Broadway, you're hearing God's Word preached and taught. And it goes out, it says He was healing all of them. Church, are you taking the initiative? Are you involved in meeting all of those needs? God, I pray for us tonight. I pray that we will see the needs all around us. Lord, you let your men eat the grain fields. Lord, they even there, they, uh, you healed on the Sabbath. You prayed over the people you were about to chose. Before you had the Sermon on the Plain, you went around just healing all people. You drove out demons. You healed the sick. You fed the hungry. Lord, it's a ministry of gospel advanced. Lord, I pray that we as a church, we will be a biblical church built on a Bible, but we will also meet human need. Human need. Lord, it came, in your case, before ritual law. And we need to do that. We don't ever sacrifice the Bible. We, share, we meet human need with the Scriptures. Lord, I just pray that's our foundation of our church and us as a body of Christ. Lord, I pray during our invitation, if there's anyone here, they've been convicted, they need to make a decision. Or even if they've been convicted this morning, they need to respond to it. Lord, I pray that we just we give this to you. Lord, I thank you for this upcoming Easter. I pray that we have a powerful day, a powerful week, as we call it Passion Week in Christianity. That we remember this is your last week on earth. You're headed to the cross and then ultimately an empty tomb. Lord, we just give you this time and I just we give you this invitation for you to move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have our invitation as we always have. I'll invite everyone to stand. David Dell is going to lead us in our song. I'll be standing out front for you to make a decision tonight. We'll sing together just as I am. Just as I am without one.
shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to certainly been moving tonight as well as this morning is that I'm going to make a couple of announcements and reminders. I got a text this afternoon. We all know Steve Wendell. Uh, Steve is a soul winner. This past summer we had a visitation and he was on my visitation team a lot. About a week and a half ago I had the um, opportunity to go down to Nicholasville and I got to drive through downtown Nicholasville by the courthouse. First time to do that and visit his mother Miss Joyce. So she has been under hospice care uh, recently and just sadly has been going uh, downhill. And she's in Miss Cheryl Biddle's Sunday school class. He texted me this afternoon and his mother passed away last night. So uh, the funeral arrangements have already been planned. Uh, remind me of the name of that funeral home there. Hager Cundiff. It's going to be... Um, Brother Heard, did you know this? Yes, she... Um, she passed away last night. The uh, visitation is Tuesday night from 5 to 8, and I believe the service is at 11.30 on Wednesday. So that's her, her memorial. It's going to be there at the funeral home. So I wanted to give an update on that. I just, I just found that out with that. Also, uh, just to remind you, next Sunday is Easter. So we uh, do not have we, evening worship. So there's no uh, handbell choir, no team kids. So opportunity on Easter for you to spend time with your family. But do uh, this week is a prime week for you to invite your friends and neighbors, unchurched folks. People will come to church. We have little invite cards there in the back that just invites folks to uh, Easter. It's a great way for them to hear the gospel. So I uh, just want to remind folks about that. Laurelie, you want to come stand up here with me, you and William and Brother Hurd? I want to introduce, we have an exciting decision this evening here. This is Miss Laurelie... Fi Flynn Fendler. Fendler. But it starts with a P, so is that, so 
Hey, I have a tough last name too. It's Osmond, so we're used to having it mis- mispronounced. This is Miss Laura Lee Flindler. Fender. Fender. Flindler. <laughs> so, I know. She is coming here. Uh, and actually, this is her son, William. William is five, and he goes to preschool at Broadway Baptist Church. So they go to our church here. He goes to school here um, uh, throughout the week. But uh, Miss Laura Lee has uh, moved here recently from, it's called Cross Point Baptist Church in Huntington Beach, California. All right, who here has been to Huntington Beach, California? Five, six, oh, Benjamin's been there, so, and David's been there, so. Now, Huntington Beach, I'm not familiar, is that near Los Angeles? It is halfway between San Diego and L.A. Okay, so it's, it's in Southern the, California. It's like where the Beach Boys started. The Beach Boys, I've heard of them. So it's where the Beach Boys started. So she was a member of a Southern Baptist church there in Huntington Beach and is coming this evening to transfer her membership here to Broadway. So we're excited for Laura Lee and we're excited for William being in our um, preschool program here at our church. So if you are excited for her decision, will you join me in saying amen? Amen. Amen. That is... What we do, anytime we have decisions, you'll want to, we'll have a receiving line. You'll come by and shake her hand and, uh, and welcome her part of our Broadway family. So I invite everybody to stand up. David has a closing song for us. Let's and sing you'll the be family dismissed. of God. Congratulations, Laura Lee. Hey, before we I'm leave, so glad I'm, I'm a part so of a, the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this For I'm part of the family, the family of God.